yesterday I had my first experience of being a dad of a little leaguer. And so my son, uh, Ryder, tried out for Little League, and this thing's crazy. I mean, this is like stressful. I was at um, the ballpark, at our park, from 8.30 in the morning till 1.30 p.m. for my seven-year-old to try out for double-A Little League baseball. He's not going professional yet. He's a little leaguer, and for whatever reason, they needed six hours of him trying out, you know, for uh, the squad. And I'm like, it's one thing. I remember being a kid through this. I remember playing Little League and being nervous. Wow, it is crazy being a parent through this, you know, because they do all these things. They're doing drills, but then, but then the moment comes when he's in front of the, all the different coaches, and he's, like, trying out, and they're throwing fly balls, and they're, like, way bigger fly balls than we threw in our backyard. I'm like, I, I don't even know if he can catch that. We haven't tried that yet, and, and you know, all his parents are along the line of the fence kind of watching our kids in this particular group, and we're seeing it, and every single kid that comes up, I'm, like, freaked out, you know? I'm like, oh, catch it, oh, catch it, and, and like, one, one kid, one kid, I mean, seriously, I mean, I don't know. It couldn't have been the sun because it was behind him, but unfortunately, the ball missed his glove and just went boom right there. And I mean, not only did he miss the ball, but he probably got cut from the team because of that. You know, I mean, add injury to insult or insult to injury, however it goes. And, and so, like, Ryder gets up, and I'm just like, dear Jesus, <laughs> holy Father. <laughs> Please let him catch the ball. And the first ball comes, and he misses it. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, Lord. I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm kind of playing, but I'm not. I don't know that I've ever prayed so much for a little kid to catch a little white ball flying at him. And then he catches it. I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, like the whole time, I think it even came out of my mouth. And I'm like, who's that weirdo? Okay. You know? And, and then he does it. He gets the next one. He got, he got two out of three. I'm like, yay! And Jenny's like, you're like going to be one of those parents, aren't you? Because after, after each catch, I was like this, yeah! You know, I mean, it was an auditory, you know, automatic response. My arm just went up. Yeah! That whole time. I'm going to be that dad in the stands. And then he got to grounders. I'm like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Put, put a fence in front of him, you know, make him be the glove, you know, the whole thing. I am going after it. And it was heart-wrenching, and it was so hard to be on the sidelines watching my son and not able to do anything at all about it. And I got to watch him play, and he did great. Now, in life, we find ourselves in places, many places, and no matter the education that you have, the sophistication that you have, it doesn't matter with all the technology and all the resources and all the wealth. Here's what we find ourselves so often in. We find ourselves in places that we can't fix or put right on the sidelines. We find ourselves in a place where we're looking and, and we can't do anything about it. 
what do you do? What do you do, not only when you don't know what to do, but when you can't do anything at all? It, it might not be near as silly as a dad on the sidelines of a Little League game, but it might be. It might be a relationship's. You, you might be in the midst of a relationship meltdown at this very moment, and you've tried all that you could. You, you've done all that you can. You're, you're going to counseling. You're getting all the right info. You're listening to all the right stuff, and yet it's still melting down. It might be with a close friend or maybe with a spouse or a parent or a kid. Maybe it's a health thing. And, and no matter what you do, you don't, it's not that you just don't even know what to do. There's nothing you can do for him or for her or for you. It might be an addiction. And you're stuck. You're, you're just stuck right now. And you feel like you've tried it all. You've gone. You've done, you've done the AA. You've done the Sex Addicts Anonymous. You've done all those different things. And you just feel hopeless. See, here's what we know. We all know this. No matter what, no matter what the sophistication, the education, the resources, all of that stuff, all the things that we can control, we are confronted with things in life that we cannot fix and we cannot put right. And what do you do? Not just when you don't know what to do, when you can do nothing at all. We're in a series called Heavy with Hope. When you feel far from God, God is not far from you. And this morning, we're going to talk about this question. In fact, we're going to read what I, I think is a, a really strange story. We're going to spend some time unpacking the text. I'm going to have you do some work with me because it doesn't quite make sense until we fully unpack the text here but we're going to see a story that we find someone who could do nothing and yet at the same time found hope. If you got your Bibles, would you open them up to Mark chapter 7? Uh, we're doing this through the gospel of Mark in this series. Uh, and we're, we're looking at Jesus and his life. And, and we're going to unpack this passage right here. Mark chapter 7, verse 24 talks about Jesus, says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Now, let me do a little bit of background work for you on Tyre, and you probably didn't know it because I didn't know it until this week studying it. But Tyre is a city that is actually well known. Uh, it's in the area of the Syria Phoenician province. And uh, Tyre uh, was, was the center or hub for the Phoenician culture. And, and this is kind of fun, so I'm going to geek out on you for a little bit. Uh, the Phoenicians were the first uh, people to discover how to navigate 
by stars. So for sailors, they're an incredibly uh, gifted uh, sailors. And so they were the first people up until that point. You had to travel by day and along the coast, and then they were, uh, they were the first people to be able to do that. So this was a city of innovation and sophistication and of wealth. It was a trade city. Uh, th- now this area is predominantly Gentile, so it's not Jewish. So for Jewish people, they didn't go there. In fact, Tyre has a really um, bad history with the Israel people. Back during, and you can do the research, it was called the Maccabean Revolt. The Jewish uh, people were trying to free themselves from the, uh, the oppressive regime at the time. And as they're doing it, Tyre and its neighboring town, Sidon, they began to join with the enemy to help push down the Israelites. And so they believe that Tyre is the enemy. And so like the ancient historian Josephus said this, Tyre, talking of Tyre, is our most embittered enemy. And Jesus shows up to Tyre, where, where, where many Jews don't show up, let alone a rabbi. It says, now Jesus left that place, went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house, and he didn't want anyone to know it. And, and you would think no one would, but his fame has gone ahead of him. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, now just underline this, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was, and then underline this too, Greek born in Syria, Phoenicia, right there, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now, this woman, talk about in a place where not only does she not know what to do, there's nothing she can do, and most likely she's tried everything she can do in a city of sophistication and wealth and resources And now she hears about this Jewish rabbi, this Jewish healer that shows up unannounced into her city or her area. And he shouldn't even be there. And by the way, she has everything going against her for her to get anything from him. And I had you underline those words. There's three kind of like really big things going against her. One, and we, uh, in that culture, she's a woman. Now, women in that day were treated terribly. In fact, they were treated with, uh, as a possession and not a person. And so when you read the New Testament, when you read the life of Jesus, what you need to hear was Jesus was the very first women's liberator and bringing life and purpose and dignity and saying, women are equal and created in the image of God. But in culturally right there, it's like, hey, man, a woman doesn't approach a man, and a a rabbi wouldn't associate with a woman at all or speak to her, let alone, and it says Greek. They're making it, letting us know she is not Jewish. She is a Gentile. Any good rabbi, any good teacher would have nothing to do, wouldn't even acknowledge this person and would just keep going on. But she's not just a woman. She's not just Greek. She's from enemy territory. She's from Tyre. She was born there. It's not like she just was, you know, living there. She was born there. Three strikes against her. Now, what we read next, Jesus has this um, 
this saying that I, I think is really hard, especially in our modern English culture to understand, if, and that's the reason I did some of this historical background for us, but even scholars will say this is prob- probably one of Jesus' harder sayings. Listen to what Jesus says next. Verse 27, first, let the children eat all they one. Now, children is this uh, technical word. Uh, it's the Greek word technon, which is literally biological children. And Jesus is speaking of the Jewish people as the children of God, his chosen people by whom they were meant to extend the blessing of God to the nations around them. God chose a specific nation that all other nations would be blessed through. And he says, I've come, my purpose first is to come and bless and and save and redeem them that they might return and do what they were originally intended to do. First, let the children eat all they want, he told them, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And that word dog is in the diminutive here. It's, uh, it's literally puppy or um, house pet. Now, in their day, between Tyre and Galilee and, Jew, uh, and Judea, they, they would throw insults back and forth to one another and in derogatory terms would call one another dogs. And, and it would always be in a very negative. It was always the, the mutt or the outside, you know, uh, scavenger dog. In fact, one of the uh, rabbinic traditions said, as sacred food was intended for men, but not for dogs, the Torah was intended to be given to chosen people, but not for Gentiles. And so you have this people uh, in the rabbinic tradition was God is for us and we're going to keep him for us and it's not for you at all all. And Jesus takes something that's very common, and he shifts it just enough. Where what at one point was an insult now is an invitation. He said, first, hey, hang on. One, there, there is a priority of mission here, and my mission centers in Jerusalem. My, my mission centers there. And, and, and by the way, the New Testament affirms that. It says in uh, Romans 1, uh, 16, it says, and Paul writes this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and salvation for all who believe. And then he says this, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He says, first, you know what? I, I have come for a specific purpose, and I don't want to get diverted off of that specific purpose. But I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to call you names of, of what's happening out there. I'm just going to use, hey, you're part of the community. You're part of the family. What's once used as an insult is now an invitation, and she steps right into it. In fact, here's what's interesting. The disciples, you have so many parables used in the Bible, uh, and the disciples are like so dull. And the last week, we, he even looks at them and he says, are you so dull? I mean, Jesus like talking to the disciples going, dude, are, seriously, guys? This woman from the wrong side of town gets it immediately. She says, Lord, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Hey, guess what? I I get what your mission is. I get what what your purpose is, that you're the Messiah, that you've come to redeem your people and to bring, but your, your mission isn't just right here. 
I, I wonder if she even knew some of the ancient prophecies. You know, Isaiah, the prophet of old, wrote about the Messiah coming. And when he said this Messiah wouldn't just be to restore or redeem Israel, he wrote in uh, chapter 49 that it would be a light to the Gentiles to bring all people to himself. And she got it. She said, hey, by the way, your power is expansive enough. You're, you're big enough. I, I get the priority, but, but, but I think there's enough overflow that you can meet me right here. And Jesus says, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. In fact, the gospel writer Matthew, when he writes it, uh, he writes, records this same account. He, he writes and says, woman, what great faith. Astounded. She went home, found her child lying in the bed, and the demon gone. What do you do? Not when you don't know what to do, but when there's nothing you can do. I believe there's one incredibly powerful principle out of this text. If you find yourself there, maybe relationally, if you find yourself there, Maybe emotionally, if you find yourself there, maybe spiritually, what do you do? And we see this straight out of this passage. We see that our posture, that your posture before God positions you to experience the power of God. How you posture yourself, whether you posture yourself before God will position you to experience the presence and the power of God. I love this. I love that she didn't let her background, her baggage, keep her from the very one who could meet her greatest need. And I think some of us, we show up and really go, God can never want me. God could never use me. God would never show up. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my present circumstance. You don't know what I'm carrying around you. And here's the beauty of God. He says, it's not about your past. It's not about your present circumstance. But if you would take a posture, and we see actually four postures this woman takes that positions you to experience the power of God. God says, I'll meet you. I'll meet you. I'll meet you. Four things we learn from this woman. The first is the posture of desperation. The posture of desperation. It's been said that there are cowards and then there are those who are courageous. Then there's parents. There, there is nothing for most parents, I'd say all, that if there's some form of hope for your kid, that you wouldn't go to whatever lengths it was. And here we see a mom. We see a mom whose daughter's in need. We see a mom who, who is desperate and can't do anything in and of herself and hears about this Jewish healer, this Jewish rabbi that showed up to town and crosses all social bounds, all cultural norms, and would do whatever it takes for her daughter, even being shunned by society or rejected by this man. 
Now, what's interesting is at the core, you and I, we are fundamentally needy people trying to simply prove to ourselves we need no one. And so we use our sophistication, we use our education, we use our resources to mask the reality that at our core, we are desperately needy. And you will never, and I will never, you'll never experience Jesus as Savior until you come to the place where you realize, I need saving. And so often we want Jesus as sidekick. We want Jesus as a nice addition to our life. We want Jesus, but, but we don't really need saving. We just need some good advice. We just need him to kind of fill the happiness hole in our heart. But let's live the way we want. And the posture that positions you, that positions me to experience the power of God is the posture of desperation. You alone. I have nothing. I can't fix this. I can't put it right. I can't do anything. And instead of trying to have control, you go to the one who is in control. We see with this woman the posture of desperation. The second thing we see in this woman is the posture of persistence. And I love this. Yeah, you notice that word she said begged, and it's literally, it, it, it's in the tense where it's not just like I begged. It's I begged and I kept on begging. When, when you read the account that Matthew writes, it, it's as if she's just so persistent and belligerent that disciples are like, come on, get out of here, because they're obviously missing the whole moment. She begged. She wasn't going to take no for an answer. Even when Jesus gave kind of a hard response, she engaged right with it. Is this persistence, this persistent pursuit of the one who could meet her greatest need. And I think today, I think today we get disillusioned when God doesn't answer us the way we want, when we want, or in the right time that we want. And, and we miss out. Do you realize over and over throughout the Bible, but you read especially about prayer, there is this call to persistence in prayer, to bring before him constantly, that, that you wouldn't just give up and go, well, I prayed once, God didn't answer. Or, you know what, that area I really want changed? Yeah. Memorize the verse. Nothing. We do that, though. Somehow we've come to believe if it's hard, it's not from God. Here's what you need to know. Jesus, Jesus, by the way, will meet you how you need him most. It may not be how you want him most. Uh, when we started this church, um, it was one of, uh, and I'll share the story if you're at intro uh, tonight, so I won't go in full length, but it was one, I'll just tell you, was where we, it was clear, it was God's call for especially Jenny and I, and then a core group of us, where we said, this is what we're called to do, and we're stepping out to do it. And so we started January 2011 with an idea and a few people that, that were like, hey, we're, we're, we're going to get after it. And we started with a group, and uh, we're like, okay, let's see what happens. 
And so we had a date of when we we're going to launch the church. It was going to be September, uh, and we're all excited. And now for six months, for six months, we looked everywhere for a location. I mean, everywhere. Knocked on every door, went downtown, went here. Every single place, we got to know. And we asked, we asked, you know, my original plan was like, I don't want to do this whole setup, teardown thing. That seems hard. Um, and so let's, let's try a church. Let's meet at a church. So I knocked on a bunch of churches. They all said no. I'm like, at that time, we only met at nights. Like, we're not even going to meet during the day. I remember one church even said this. They said no, but they gave us the reason why. I love they were at least honest. They said, they said, we're afraid our people will go to your thing. I'm like... Oh, jeez. Somehow, somehow I was naive enough to think we're all playing for the same team or on the same team. I apologize. I had no idea. And then we tried theaters. One theater, in fact, was going to charge us. They said, sure, you can use it. So we didn't get all no's, but this was basically a no. Sure, you can use it, but it'll cost you $3,500 a week. I'm like, Yeah. Man, we start charging people at the door just to have church. We say, no, 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 hang on, 100 bucks. Come on, come on, come on. Uh, it got so serious. So it was July. We launch in September, two months away. No location. By the way, we didn't go. Must not be God's will. Guess we're not called to plant a church. Well, we tried. But no, no, we're clear on what God called us and we persistently pursued. In July, we were really desperate, so we fasted. A group of us fasted for an entire week. I was hungry, really, really hungry. But in that moment of fasting and praying, we were driving, and I just happened to be driving over here, and I was never hanging out, and I come across this school, and I'm like, oh, they got a brand new theater. And for those who uh, aren't new or are new. We don't normally meet here. We meet in the theater, but there's a big production going on uh, right now. They got a killer theater, and it could work out really great. And so I ask, and schools aren't really stoked to have churches there, and and just happened to be that the person who oversees the facility, I knew, and she served in a high school ministry, and I had no idea that she served there. And then they got a new principal who knew Jesus, and they said, come on board. This was never my plan. God did not show up in my time and I'm so thankful he did it that way. When we're talking about being a church that awakens this generation to new life, getting to be on a high school campus, getting to have the influence, and immediately we realize this place is more than a place to meet. It's a mission field. It's a people to love. God gave us a place that we can serve and love and invest. And we wanted to be do church here in such a way that, that every school would want a church on their campus because, man, if that's what church is like, and we've gotten to have such an impact. The principals let me address the faculty on a couple occasions. All, the whole faculty, a teacher called and asked me, he said, next week I'll be in three different classes to talk about Jesus. And that amazing? Come on, are you with me? That's cool. <laughs> Serious. Oh my gosh. That's cool. That's Jesus. See, a posture that positions you to experience the power of God it's first desperation. And you'll never experience Jesus as Savior until you come to the place where you need saving. And then persistence. God, I'm coming after you. And here's the reason you can be persistent in these places, because you have nowhere else to go. 
third thing we see from the woman then is of humility. Love in the text, you just notice she fell at his feet. Remember, she recognized Jesus and called him Lord. This is the only place in the Gospel of Mark where we find anyone recorded calling Jesus, addressing him as Lord, as Master. It was a posture of humility before Jesus that she engaged in the conversation with him. See, we don't like the whole idea of humility because we live in a culture about it's your self-made, bring yourself up by your bootstraps. Pride is simply me seeing me. Pride is just simply when I am the focus of myself. Humility is me seeing God. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's actually thinking accurate of yourself. Humility is just simply thinking of God and having him be the focus and intention of your life. Amen by myself? Okay. Okay. And for some... For some, you might even need humility. I, and this is something that I felt like this last year, God has, God has so worked on me. Because uh, if I'm really honest, when we started this church, there's ideals about what I thought about being a pastor should be, and I didn't fall into any of them. And God kept breaking me to the point. This past fall, and I just say this, I didn't even share this with the last one, I just say this for you, and I don't mean it in any way. I just felt God's call in my life is, that I wanted to be the type of pastor that leads this church from my knees. And, and so I do my best to start every day, and I don't start every day, but I do my best to start every day on my knees because there's something powerful for me to acknowledge that I am in the presence of the God Most High with whom who has all control and all authority, and I don't, and I need. I am a creature of need, and I can't do this, but he can. And for some, you need to take a posture of humility and get over yourself and get on your knees and begin to cry out to God in desperation. And you've been going, God, where are you? God, where are you? And you're frustrated and you're blaming God, and yet you've never taken a posture to position yourself to experience the power of God. And you're walking in pride, blaming God. Finally, last thing we see, desperation, persistence, humility, faith. Faith. In fact, Jesus identified it. Remember I said, Matthew says, woman, what great faith you have. Despite all the wrong credentials, she still came and engaged. Faith is simply the confidence that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he said he will do. Faith is simply taking God's viewpoint as your reality. John Ortberg says it this way, that faith faith is coming to believe with my whole body what I say I believe with my mind. Faith is putting your money where your mouth is and saying, okay, God, this is what you said, and so as a result, I'm going to step out and trust you. The author of Hebrews said it this way, without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
And, and here's what you just need to know. You just need to know it because some of you, God has shown you and spoken to you, and yet you're sitting on the sidelines and you're not stepping out into what he's spoken to you. Did you notice that Jesus said it? He said, woman, your child has been healed. And she didn't climb and she didn't cling and say, oh, but Jesus, just come with me. She just left and you said it, it is done and I trusted and I went. And some of you need to do that and you're so clear on what God has shown you and you need to step out. And for some, it's a confession. God's shown you, you need to get help. You need to stop suffering silently. For some, it's taken a major career shift. For some, it is a relationship shift. See, here's what you need to know. Is God will go with you, but he will not go for you. And you're waiting for God to make the first move and he's saying, no, it's by faith. It's by faith. And you step out on what I said, and here's, here's what you need to know. As you step out in faith, you will find a God who is faithful every single time. It positions you. It positions you to experience the presence and the power of God. Where are you at? Let me, uh, let me ask it maybe a little different. Where do you need personally to experience the power of Jesus? Would you get into position? Would you take a posture this morning? In fact, I, I'm going to invite you to take a posture in a bit. It's to take a posture for some. I got some people that are going to pray on the sides, and I'm going to pray on the sides. For some, you just need to get up, and you need to pray. And you realize, I need to take a posture of humility, of, of being desperate. I'm going to go, and I'm, I'm going to just share what's going on with someone and pray. For some, you need to just simply, during this next set of worship, get on your knees. You go, I don't care what anyone thinks. I, I don't care anymore because I need God. And if I don't hear from him, then it doesn't matter anyways. And you get on your knees. Where do you need to experience the healing power of God? Maybe it's your identity. Your self-worth is wrapped up in so many different things. And you know you know that it's caused such pain. Maybe it's in your sexuality. Maybe it's a, a dating relationship. Maybe it's in your marriage or with your kids. Maybe there's an anger issue or bitterness. Friendship or family. Maybe it's your integrity or around food or money or jealousy. Maybe there's an anxiety or doubt. Apathy, selfishness, shame. Where do you, where do you, where do you need to experience the healing power of God? I love what Corey Timboon said. She wrote, It is not my ability, but my response to God's ability. That counts. This morning, would you have that confession and take the posture? It's not my ability, but my response to God's ability that counts. And for some, you're here and you need simply the invitation of God. 
You need to know that God's not against you, but he's for you. God doesn't loathe you, but he loves you. That you have a God who pursued you all the way to the cross. If you're here uh, and you've never stepped into a relationship with the God of the universe, I'd invite you. He loves you. He longs for you. He sent Jesus to come and die for you, to give you a new life. And I'd invite you to step into a relationship with God. And it's just simple confession, saying, God, I'm tired. I can't save myself. I need you to save me. Would you come into my life and make me new? So I, I'm just going to pray, and if you're here and you're in that place, I, I would invite you this morning to step into a relationship with God and just pray this prayer with me if you're here and you've never stepped into a relationship with God. God, I desperately need you. I've tried education, resources, you name what you've tried, and it's all left you wanting. Would you come into my life and make me new? I believe that you love me and are for me and that Jesus, you came for me and you died for me and came to life to give me new life. I don't have it all figured out. But today, I give you my life Today, would you be my Savior and my Lord? And if you're here and you just prayed that, would you raise your hand so I could just know and pray alongside you? Amen. Anybody else? Go. God, I ask for our church in this moment, in this next season of worship, that you would posture us to experience you and your presence and your power. That you'd give them the courage to step forth into the things that you're calling of us. In Jesus' name, amen.